Well, today in week two of our Christmas series, Trading Up, we're, we're, we're swinging for the fence today, guys. Uh, some of us love the holidays. Some of us are stressed out by the holidays, right? So last week, we kicked off this series called Trading Up, and it came from a story I came across from a 26-year-old Canadian guy, uh, Kyle McDonald, who had a red paperclip and a problem. He, his problem was he was living with his parents, and he wanted to buy his own home. But Kyle didn't have a job, and bank wouldn't give him money. But he had the internet, the internet's power. So he put the red paperclip online and, dis- and wanted to see how many trades it would take him to trade up from a paperclip to owning a home. Well, 14 trades later and a year later, Kyle got his home. And so we're asking the question, what are you willing to trade up for this Christmas? Last week we talked about this idea that uh, in, in a relationship with Christ, that we can trade up our despair for his hope. And we talked about this beautiful conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And today we're going to talk about trading up our stress for Jesus's peace. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I, I don't like when preachers do that when I'm sitting in the crowd. But, but, but I wonder how many hands would go up if we would say the holidays kind of stress me out, right? Especially, I don't know where you are in your birth order. I'm the oldest. Uh, but if you're the middle child or the youngest, those are the forgotten people in the family. Uh, it, it's easy to feel like Christmas, uh, you are dependent on your parents to take you places, your siblings to take you places. So you sometimes feel uh, forgotten or neglected. And, and Christmas can be a stressful time. Uh, kind of like when you have family get-togethers and there's pizza and you're last to hear about it and your brother eats the last slice. Kind of like this movie clip. Grab yourself a napkin and you're gonna have to pour your own drinks. Mom, does Santa Claus have to go through customs? What time do you have to go to bed? Early. We're leaving the house at 8 a.m. on the bus. I hope you're all drinking milk. I want to get rid of it. Hey, don't you? Honey, the pizza boy needs $122.50 plus tip. For pizza? Ten pizzas times 12 bucks. Frank, you've got the money, don't you? Come on. Traveler's checks. Forget it, Frank. We have cash. You probably get the kind of traveler's checks that don't work in France. Did anyone order me a plain cheese? Oh, yeah, we did. If you want any, somebody's going to have to barf it all up because it's gone. Fuller, go easy on the Pepsi. (laughs) Get a plate. jerk. (laughs) Kevin, get upstairs right now. Why? Kevin, you're such a disease. Shut up. Kevin, upstairs. Say goodnight, Kevin. Goodnight, Kevin. Oh, man. Lo- love, love Home Alone. Did you know? I had my mind blown. Did you know how they forgot Kevin? Because Kevin's dad in that scene, the milk was covering it, threw away his airfare ticket. Did you not realize that? 
boom, aren't you glad you came to church today, right? <laughs> yeah. And now let's talk about Jesus, right? Ch chances are you probably feel some level of stress during the holiday season. I came across a depressing, hopefully relieving article for you to, to let you calm down, to not be so uh, wound up to buying the best gift, that in 2014, $60 billion worth of merchandise was returned. So chances are the gift that you're, that you're stressing out about is probably likely going to be returned this Christmas season. A, a few years ago when I was blogging and I didn't have any friends, I'm kidding, I'm sure bloggers have friends, uh, I asked my introverted friends, you must hate the holidays. Like, how do you survive large groups, all these parties that are on your agenda? How do you survive the holidays and be uh, at peace and not stress out? And so I wrote this little guest blog, and I asked some of my friends to comment on it. And, and I got some really great answers. So if you're introverted and, and parties this season uh, stresses you out, uh, take some notes here. One of my friends said, I like to work out. I hit the gym or go on a long run a few hours before a Christmas party that I have to go to. And I said, why do you do that? Well, she said that when I go to the party, I, I'm actually really extroverted. People think I like them, but what they don't know is it's all the endorphins that are going off my head because I just finished a workout. That is brilliant. Uh, I had another, another friend of mine, she said, if I tell you this and you put it on your blog, you cannot tell my kids who are old and grown and they have kids. I'm like, this must be good. I, I, didn't, I did not even tell my, my husband I did this. So uh, as an introvert, the last day of school, she'd send her kids off to school, and then she'd spend a whole day pampering herself, manicures, pedicures. She'd go see a movie, grab lunch, and be home just in time for the kids to get off the bus and welcome them home. I thought that was another brilliant idea. Well, another friend of mine, a couple, they're both, they're both introverted, they're married, and they have the signal. I don't know if you have this with your significant other or your spouse. The signal is a conversation that you have before you go to a party. Hey, when I wink three times, it's time to go, right? This is before technology, and you could just text, hey, it's time to go, right? So we all, we all find ways to survive the holidays and to get rid of the stress in our lives. This is nothing new. Uh, this is nothing new for first century Jewish families that we're going to talk about today. In Leviticus, I believe it's chapter 24. If it's not 24, it's in 22, because I know you all read Leviticus before you go to bed at night. There, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a, a festival in Leviticus, and it's, and it's called the Feast of Tabernacle, or the Feast of Booths. And so I've got a picture, I've got a picture up here, the Feast of Booths, I can't say that word. It's sort of like a makeshift tent that uh, there's a dining room table in the middle, there's a, there's a banner over the whole thing, and the Jewish community, these families, would pray for three things for the coming year. God, give us your protection, God, give us your provision, and God, give us your peace, which is something I think families still, at least parents, still pray for today, right? God, give us your peace. And so if, if you want to follow along, you can pull out your phone. There it is again, rccsalem.com. Swipe left to teaching series. And we are in Luke chapter 7 today. If you don't want to open your phone, you think that's like an unholy thing, the, the scripture's on the screen as well. We're, we're okay with that. In Luke chapter 7, the Feast of Tabernacle is happening. And Jesus gets invited over to a meal to Simon's house. Simon was a Jewish Pharisee. Pharisees are modern-day theologians. Theologians, you might even say like an elder, a church leader. These are big deal sort of kinds of people, right? And so I want to talk about 
the transition from stress to peace in our life. And the first idea is this, that we have all been invited to trade up stress for peace. Whether or not you would consider yourself a Jesus follower or not, all right? Jesus is not a mean, angry, vindictive God that even if you're not a follower, he does not want you to have peace. He wants everybody to have peace. And so the first idea I want to communicate is that we've all been invited to trade up for peace. And Simon is going to actually try and do that with Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verse 35, Luke records this. When one of the Pharisees, later it's it's Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, to be invited to a first century Jewish home's dinner party was a very, very big deal. To be invited meant that you were included, that you were important enough to extend a hand of invitation and community, and that, that people wanted to hear your thoughts Uh, on the modern day, whether it was political thoughts, whether it was theological thoughts, whether it was thoughts that affected uh, the community or the village or the hometown that you were in. And, but like I said before, my, my favorite artist is Rich Mullins. He has a lyric that says, people will often be, uh, people will often be friendly to you, but they'll never be your friends. And so Simon has a hidden agenda when he invites Jesus over for dinner. And, and so often, we can kind of control our lives where we think we're, Jesus, we're doing Jesus a favor by inviting him in uh, to our house. But what, what's going to happen here in the next couple of verses, uh, Simon is actually going to be invited by Jesus into something much better, something much bigger than a dinner party. Not only are we all invited to trade up our stress for peace, but secondly, we often position ourselves for peace. It's why you work the late hours that you do. It's why that you have the quality of life that you think you need to have, and you fight for it, and you maintain it. We all position ourselves to receive the kind of peace or the quality of life that we think we need. And Simon is doing the very same thing, right? Jesus' reputation is, is growing, and uh, if you are a control freak like Simon, you don't like that. People are coming to your synagogue to worship your God. They're, they're walking in the outskirts of the Roman Empire with this homeless beggar Jewish uh, rabbi named Jesus. And, and, and that's unsettling to Simon. So, so Simon invites Jesus over. He's trying to control the situation. He has some questions he wants to ask Jesus. Is, is Jesus... Uh, really who he says he claimed to be? Is he really on the party lines of the Pharisees? Is he going to be a good boy and listen to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day? Or is he going to kind of do his own thing? So not only was it important, friends, to be invited to a party, it mattered where you sat. See, in Luke 7.37, Luke says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, When you went to a first century Jewish meal, you would sit at a table that looked like a horseshoe. 
And the table probably only came up a few inches. So when the uh, writer Luke said that Jesus reclined at the table, he literally laid down and put all of his weight and pressure on his right elbow. And so the order of importance mattered. And so you had this, you're looking at this horseshoe. The, the host of the party would sit at the very head, and behind the host would be the guest of honor. This is where Jesus sat. And then on down the line through the horseshoe went, you know, important, not important, important. You know, it kind of went down that way. And so everything was going well for Simon, or so he thought, until this woman, this sinful woman, we would, we would guess uh, she lived a sinful life. We would guess that uh, she sleeps with men for a living, that she was kind of the town prostitute. And there's nothing worse when you are in a controlled environment that you think you're in control of, and something happens like that, right? There's, there's nothing worse when you're at, at a nice uh, place to eat with your family, your, your spouse, your significant other, and a plate drops, everyone freaks, like, what, what's going on? You know what I mean? There's nothing worse when what you're trying to control gets interrupted, is it? And, th- and this woman walks in, and she began, so she would have had to have walked on this side of the horseshoe, and then she found Jesus and dropped everything. You know, I think that's true of us. There's only so much stuff, right, that we can hold on to before we see a movie, have a conversation with a friend, listen to a song, and then we just ugly cry it out. There, there is something about being in the presence of Jesus that made this woman be her true self, who she was, and she couldn't hold it in any longer. And then the Pharisee, Simon, says, if, she, if, if Jesus were actually a prophet, if he knew the rules, if he knew the law, if he obeyed the Torah that God gave us on Mount Sinai all the way back in Exodus, if, if he was really a good Jewish rabbi, he would know that this is unethical, that a woman would even talk to a man, let alone touch a man, let alone a, a prostitute would touch a man and interrupt a meal with all men. It's like you're watching a scene out of Mad Men, right? This would be something that would be unheard of. And so Jesus addresses here the position of Simon and the position of the woman. So let's talk about for a second the position of Simon here. Simon isn't wrong. Simon isn't wrong. Theologically, Simon is correct. Because in Judaism, you don't go to Jesus to meet with God. You go to the synagogue to meet with God. You go to a building. You go to a temple, right? Isn't that, isn't that why we're, we're celebrating here in this moment, this Feast of Tabernacle, that God dwelled among his people in the tabernacle? You don't, you don't go to Jesus to meet with God, woman. What are you doing? Go, go call your rabbi. We're having a professional dinner here. Why are you interrupting us? And the other thing that he was thinking, which is theologically true, that God reside in a building in the Old Testament. He's not wrong. He's just kind of a jerk. The other thing that he got right was, woman, why are you crying at Jesus's feet? Jesus cannot cleanse you. He can't give you a, a clean mind, a pure heart, and a fresh start. You need to call your rabbi and, and practice what the Jews practiced, which was mikvah. We have a photo of it right here. This is the Jewish practice of baptism. You don't go to Jesus to get cleansed. You go call your religious leader. 
to go to synagogue, set up an appointment, and, and be baptized under the Jewish practice of mikvah. What are you doing putting yourself on the line, risking your, your livelihood in the presence of Jesus? Jesus isn't where you go to meet God. Jesus isn't where you go to have a clean conscience and to be baptized and, and to have a renewed spirit. That's something you call your local rabbi, woman. And then Jesus had a question for Simon, which means put on your helmet. In Luke 740, Jesus answered Simon. Now remember, remember, Simon and Jesus are sitting, like if Simon's mumbling this, he's going to hear him. And, and so maybe the other people have already started eating, like I would have, I don't care, I would have been eating. Maybe the other people are eating and don't, aren't aware of what's happening. And so when the woman came across on this side, Simon would have had to literally, what are you doing, woman? He'd have to turn his body to see what's happening. Simon, taps, or Jesus taps Simon on the shoulder. He says, Simon, I, I have a question for you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Don't you love that? Like if you're a teacher, your student comes up, I know all the answers, tell me. He said, Simon, two people owed a lot of money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, oh, this is easy. This is like t-ball practice. Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Notice what he says. Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Don't miss that. Jesus looks at Simon and says, Simon, now you have judged correctly. You pick up what I'm putting down, Simon? I know what you're trying to do with this woman. You are judging her incorrectly. So let me tell you a story. Two guys owe one guy a lot of money. One half a million, one a million. Both are forgiven. Who do you think is more, more grateful? Well, probably the guy with a lot more money that has been forgiven. Here's the answer. Who cares? Who cares, Simon? Simon, you're in debt, and you don't even realize it. Your theology is keeping you from loving this woman. How you read the Torah is keeping your heart from engaging in this woman. I don't mind that she's here. In the same way a parent has to clean up whatever a child does at a nice restaurant. Parents, you, you, don't, you don't prefer it, but you don't mind it because you're a good father. You're a good mother. You clean up your child's messes. Simon allowed his goodness to serve his blindness. Don't miss this, church. Simon allowed his goodness to serve his blindness. His morality, his theology, cost him an opportunity to love this woman. That's what we call an over-church person. They go to church every time the doors are open. They can tell you the Hebrew and Greek word for any verse in the Bible. But yet they have a way of judging people. Now, we all have personalities. I, I, I'm at heart, I'm a judger. A judger is someone that sees things in black and white. I have a difficult time with gray. 
But there are other people, the opposite of judger is a perceiver. And Jesus is doing both, right? He's not saying that what this woman is doing is correct, but he's also trying to help Simon see, you're missing the point. You're in debt, Simon, and you don't even realize it. Like, don't worry about this meal. It's great. It's, it's fine. You don't, you don't have to impress me. The, the real issue, Simon, is that you're in debt, and you don't even realize it. Man, I wonder, is that, is that something that Jesus would say to us today? So many times uh, people in ministry have asked me, how do I know that I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord? And I would say, look at this woman. Look at the prostitute, not the pastor. Because this woman is going all out in front of the presence of Jesus, doing everything she can to say, I love you, I trust you, I believe who you are, who, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that I don't have to go to the temple to, get, to meet God. I believe I don't have to go to mikvah to be, to be cleansed. I believe I can go to you. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite theologians in the discipline of spiritual formation, one, uh, said this, and I think it speaks so clearly of, of Simon and, and of us. He says, as long as we continue to live as if we are what we do, right? Like a lot of, like a lot of high-powered people in this room, men and women, like that, that get a kick out of doing a good job, and our boss is saying, you're amazing. Like a lot of us put our identity in what we do. We are what we do because that gives us a paycheck that gives us our, lively, our livelihood. But we just sing a song that we're none of those things. What, what we just sang about in Good Father is that we're loved by God. That, that's who we are. That, that, that's all that we are, and that's enough. Henry said, he goes on to say, as long as we continue to live as we are what we do or what we have and what other people think about us, we will remain filled with judgments, opinions, evaluations, and condemnations. And here it is. We will remain addicted to putting people and things in their right place. Wow, what a powerful statement, right, friends? It's just exposing Simon, this need to control the situation, this need to judge people and label people where they're at. And all this woman wants is a shot to meet and to follow Jesus. But what about, what about the position of the woman? Well, in Luke 47, 44, Luke continues, he says, Then he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said, and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? What a perceptive question. Right? Now Jesus is transferring from judgment, judgment personality to perceiver personality. Do you see this woman? I'm guilty of this, friends. Like how many, how many times do we come to church and we just, you know, find our seat, do our thing and leave? Or how many times do we go to the mall and, and, and see, some, see a need and we just keep walking? Like I wonder, I don't know, man, I don't want to get into it because I feel like I'll start judging myself. I wonder how quickly we run through this life when we don't see people. I came into your house, Simon. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not give me oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But, whatever, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. There's the answer to your story, my story, Simon. 
You're not quick to forgive because you think your sin is not your problem or it's not that big of a deal or worse, that your sin is manageable, right? And when we have sin in our life that is manageable, we don't need a God that needs to die for it because we got everything under control, right? Come on, I know I'm preaching to somebody, at least myself. So what's the position of the woman? So she comes uh, uh, on the, the right side, so to speak, of this horseshoe, and she lays it all out before Jesus. She puts down her hair, which was not something you did with any man. It was something that a woman would do as a sign of intimacy and vulnerability with her husband. And then she begins to pour perfume on Jesus's feet, which was actually she would use on her own body as she would go from client to client through the evening. And then the tears just began to come out of her uh, tear ducts and, and weeping and crying on Jesus's feet. And then the text says she kissed Jesus's feet. Friends, this is not a peck. This is a firmly planted kiss on Jesus's feet. Right? The way that you love to kiss your spouse on the cheek. Hopefully you love to kiss your spouse. This is the same firm planting of a kiss that this woman is putting on Jesus' feet over and over and over again. And Jesus says, you have, Simon, you have showed me no hospitality. You, the least you could do was clean my feet. But yet this woman did not bother that Jesus' feet stank because she knew that she was in the presence of love that she knew that she was in the presence of peace. She knew that she didn't have to go to a, a synagogue to meet with God. She knew that she didn't have to practice mikvah to be cleansed of her sins. She knew that she could go to Jesus alone, and Jesus was big enough and strong enough and safe enough to love her and to forgive her, which is why at the end of this story, Jesus says to her in verse, verse 48 and 50, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? See, really, if you're being honest with the text, you don't really, you, like, you don't really know your sins are forgiven until you, like, die, right? It's a lot easier to say, this lame man is healed, no, get up. It's a lot harder to believe in the first century that uh, just because a Jewish rabbi says your sins are forgiven, they're actually forgiven. But there's a belief that this woman has that Simon doesn't have. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is it? Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Listen to this. Go in peace. Wait a minute. Peace. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is about. That, 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 that's why we get together once a year. And we throw this incredible party. See, the Feast of Tabernacles is a lot like how we do Halloween. All the homes are open. People are walking around the streets, greeting each other. It's like the only time of the year that you see your neighbors, right? Everyone's walking around. So it wasn't unnatural. It was unwelcoming. It wasn't unnatural for this woman to walk into this home. And Jesus says, go in. Did you see what he's doing? He's saying, I am the God of peace. You can trade up for it. If you come to me with all your junk, like the woman, or you come to me with all of your religiousity, I made that up, you're overzealous for the church and at the same time judging other people, I, I died for that too. I died for your sin and I died for any attempt that you try to make in your goodness. I, I'll, I'll do that for you. I can say go in peace. Because I'm the God of the Old Testament. I threw that party. And now I'm here with you 
God in the flesh, hope with real hands, a real heart, hope that you can see in, the, see in its eyes. And I'm telling you, I'll give you my peace. And in that moment, like the woman at the well, this woman decided that she could trade up her stress for the peace of Christ. And that's why I want to land today, folks. The gospel message is this, is that we can trade up our stress if we want to walk into his peace. Now, this woman didn't go to Bible college, didn't go to Torah school. Uh, girls didn't back then. It's kind of a boy thing. But what did she know theologically that uh, Simon didn't know? Well, she knew or she believed that John 1.14 was about Jesus. Now, what does John 1.14 say? Glad you asked. John 1.14 says <clears throat> that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Dwelling, literally translated from the Hebrew, is that when the word, of, when the word became flesh, the Messiah, when he comes, he will tabernacle among us. She believes that the Messiah is actually the person of Jesus. Another way to say it, Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What else did she know about Jesus? She knew that Simon was wrong, that you didn't have to go to a building to meet with God. You didn't have to call a rabbi. You don't have to call a priest. You don't have to call a pastor. You don't have to call a minister. You can talk to Jesus yourself. And you don't have to be weighed down by religion that manipulates and controls people. You can have a conversation with, your, with, with yourself. You could have a conversation with Jesus himself. Mind-blowing. What else did she know about Jesus that Simon missed? That she didn't have to practice mikvah to be cleansed of her sin. She didn't have to be baptized because she knew the blood of Christ, once it would be shed on the cross, was quantitatively and qualitatively enough to cleanse her of her sins. You learn a lot from her. What's the last thing that she learned? She realized that the banner that hung over that table that day was about Jesus and that hope and peace can be reached in the person of Jesus. And, that, and that's why we celebrate Christmas, isn't it, friends? That Jesus comes from heaven and moves into the neighborhood, and he makes himself accessible to us today. Wow, what a beautiful thought. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to learn from such an amazing woman who was counted out and ostracized by her community. We thank you that uh, she had the guts to go in a place where she wasn't socially welcomed. Uh, even though she was uninvited, you welcomed her. And I think that something that we don't talk a lot about in the church is we talk about sin, but we don't talk about the emotional toll that sin takes on us. And you see the emotional toll that sin took on this woman, and she lost it in front of you. May we get to a place where we are that comfortable in our relationship with you, whether it's weeping during worship, uh, a sermon in the privacy of our own home as we're reading the Bible, as we're praying. May, may, may we always realize and remember that at Christmas, we can trade up our stress for your peace. It's in your name that we pray, amen.